708-3241, or you can email radio at bnntv.org. WBCA Radio is proud to present City Talk, where fascinating conversation is alive and well. With your host, Boston Radio veteran, Ken Meyer. Hello again, everybody. Welcome again to City Talk. And our guest is a gentleman whom I love and revere a great deal. A gentleman who has been a part of the Boston scene in news and politics as long as I can remember. And uh, he is back with us again for another go around. And he is Mr. Gene Hartigan. So Gene, how are you? Kenny, it is always great to be with you uh, at a time when everyone wants to do snippets on radio and television. It is such a pleasure to do something long form to be able to spend some time in conversation. And it's so <laughs> rare that you get to do that anywhere anymore. Yeah, I know. Even the sound bites on the news are shorter than they used oh, to be. It's awful. You know, they record five to 10 minutes of time with you and 12 seconds later, that's it. <laughs> well, let's get started with two things. First of all, how are you holding up with COVID? And uh, tell us about your China project that you that you have been involved in and give us an update on all that. Well, I followed um, the direction of the CDC and the president and Dr. Fauci and uh, our family has been vaccinated. I've had all my shots, my booster, my flu shot, everything. Uh, my family has avoided <clears throat> um, uh, any any contact with covid uh, my granddaughter just got her first shot, which I'm so excited and so proud of her for doing. <clears throat> and uh, and I'll tell you a funny story. She's a, I'll digress for a second. She is going to receive her first communion soon. <clears throat> um, and she's eight years old. And so she was at a class with the priest, which is called reconciliation. <clears throat> and that is where the priest talks to all the children and their parents prior to receiving the, the Catholic sacrament of First Communion. And so in the process, he was doing analysis or a, a description of people falling away from the church. And he used goats as an example that <laughs> goats are followers, <clears throat> they're not leaders. And so goats can walk almost off a cliff sometimes because they're eating grass. <clears throat> so he said to the kids collectively. So what do goats eat? And this one boy raised his hand and said, Father, they eat grass. <clears throat> and so he then said, does anyone know where grass grows? And that same boy raised his hand and said, in the cellar. <laughs> <clears throat> I am sure, as all of the other parents laughed, his parents were probably sitting there with their hand over their eyes. Uh, <laughs> that is a true story. <clears throat> out of the out of the mouths of babes or little ones come funny yep. things. So, um, and as far as China goes, um, it, it has been 
uh, a very difficult time between the United States and China, obviously, for a variety of reasons, as um, China and the United States are the biggest players in the world on a, a variety of levels, uh, economically, uh, militarily, and of course, China is a dictatorship. So <clears throat> one man rule with a committee uh, that's under him, uh, as opposed to our republic form of government. But we have been working, my colleague, Dr. Lee and I have been working, uh, doing investment and business from China into the United States, not the other way, um, for the past 20 years. And um, over the years, we brought China Ocean shipping to the port of Boston, and that has provided 9,000 direct jobs at the port and uh, probably another 30,000 jobs um, in the domino effect that it has had um, throughout the six state region. So it's been a very positive thing for business here and for job creation. As well, we brought Hainan Airlines to the port of, Bo well, to Logan Airport, <clears throat> which is part of Massport. And uh, they were doing flights from both Shanghai and Beijing. But of course, during the pandemic, that has been uh, cut off because of the situation uh, crisscrossing the world. <clears throat> so uh, that is currently on hold. But we've done work with the New England Board of Higher Education, setting up programs between China and the United States. And right now, we're working on a project out of Marlboro, Mass., that uh, is the old Fidelity back office. And that building will be developed as a green business zone um, that will have companies from China coming, setting up offices there, and then working with American companies to sell products into China in the area of anti-pollution for air, for water, um, <clears throat> for green business in general. So it'll give us an opportunity to do contracts with American companies, working with Chinese companies, but those contracts will be written here and they will be governed by US and Massachusetts law. And therefore, uh, it'll be uh, closely guarded and closely watched by our system as well. The, um, the Chinese government um, understands that this program, which they are overseeing with the private sector in China, they know that if this goes bad, it looks bad for the government in China. So they are watching very closely both uh, the ambassador in New York, Wang Ping, who we've worked with for a number of years, uh, and also the new ambassador of the United States from China, uh, Qing Gang, who we met with last week at the embassy down there um, and did a program, uh, a presentation program with the Port Authority, as well as the International Longshoremen's Association. Um, and so the relationship there is very strong as it has been for 20 years at the port. And now um, because of this new agreement that was reached last April uh, between the president's envoy, John Kerry and his counterpart in China, they signed a protocol on green business and green energy, which is helping us 
to move a process along that will benefit a lot of people here in the United States. Uh, and we're now uh, beginning to um, educate most of the uh, congressional and Senate leaders in the region to let them know what we're doing and ask for their cooperation in helping us develop this site, which is uh, 130,000 square feet on two floors in Marlboro. And um, uh, we're very excited about that. And, and that's called the US-China Clean Energy Partnership Campus. Um, and and um, yeah, ah, get my mouth <laughs> out of my way. The Clean Business uh, Enterprise Park. And, and uh, you can actually go to our website and um, see what we're doing there, which is at uh, uccpen.com, uccpen.com, which will help you to understand. Um, so, so that is all going well, Ken. Well, that's, that's terrific. Uh, let's talk about some local issues before we go national. When, okay. I hang up, when I hang up the phone today, I'm not going to hear that you've announced to be to uh, run for governor of Massachusetts, am I? No. Why stop there? I I thought I'd run for president, um, <laughs> um, and um, but but really, all I've ever wanted to is, is to be appointed to a new cabinet post, the secretary of frivolous entertainment, <laughs> which would mean. I would do nothing but entertain people and have no responsibility whatsoever. <clears throat> who's going to who's going to be our next governor? Do you think Mara Healy is it? Well, uh, you know, up to a couple of days ago, I felt that um, that she was a shoe in. <clears throat> but uh, we now have someone new who's jumped into the race on on the Republican side, a gentleman by the name of Doty who is a uh, self-made millionaire businessman out of <clears throat> Norfolk, Mass. And uh, he started a company here uh, with 10 people, which now has over a thousand. So he's, he's certainly accomplished a lot. Um, he's a middle of the roader, kind of a, a Charlie Baker Republican, which has uh, great appeal here in Massachusetts. So who knows? He may be, you know, like Bill Clinton came out of nowhere and uh, won. Maybe this guy has something that people in Massachusetts will look at and like. Uh, it remains to be seen. We'll have to see what he's offering, what his stand is on the issues. Um, and, and then, uh, People will make a judgment, whether it be he or or Jeff Deal or or uh, Senator Chang Diaz or um, or uh, the Attorney General. It, it, you know, it's these things can turn on a dime, Kenny. As you know, they all right. start out one way, and all of a sudden, someone brings up some lurid past, and uh, <laughs> and the next thing you know, the person is trying to dig their way out of a hole. So I don't know. I, you know, I just don't know. It's, it's so early to tell. Um, and uh, of course, with the attorney general running, that means it opens up 
the, uh, the seat of the Attorney General of Massachusetts. So a number of people I think will run for that. And um, my, one of my favorite guys, Bill Galvin, the uh, Secretary of State has opposition this year within his own party. So um, it's gonna be a pretty lively year. And I think you'll see some more people running for the state Senate and state house. So uh, uh, who knows? Who knows? All right. There are still some issues with COVID that I'm curious to get your comments on with the with the city of Boston and the uh, the firefighters and the uh, police patrolmen's association. Mayor Wu's got her hands full. Well, you know, look at I. When you see tens of thousands of people dying, still dying um, from COVID-19. When you see people lying in bed that the news reels have pictures of them saying, I should have gotten my vaccine. Uh, you know, I encourage everyone to do it. I am hard pressed to understand why, why people are ignoring those pleas, why they are not going and getting the vaccine, getting their boosters. Um, you know, medical people, police officers, firefighters, they see their share of tragedies every day, their jobs that I would never do. I, I'm not strong enough to be what they are. Um, and I don't understand why they say no um, and, and why they would be willing to put their job at risk. Uh, and, and that goes for other officials within the city or the state. Um, so I, I think what Mayor Wu is doing right now is the right thing. I think um, it is the best judgment to protect society as a whole. Um, and I think as long as there are people out there who, because they have not been vaccinated, are carriers maybe, and sharing it with other people, especially children, um, then I think uh, you've You've got to draw a line and you've got to stand by that and not give in. And I, you know, it's, 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 uh, we don't know enough about the pandemic. We don't know if what we're doing will be lasting or if we're going to have to get a fourth shot or a fifth shot or a shot every year, like the flu. But um, I'm not a scientist. But there are an awful lot of people who are working on this right now who are trained, who do understand, and are looking for answers. And so I've got to listen to them and do what they suggest. And so far, as they say, knock on wood, I'm, I'm doing okay, as is my family. So I'll keep getting injections, uh, just like we all did growing up, whether yeah. we polio or rubella or or chicken pox or smallpox or whatever it may be, you know, and we're, you know, we've had 220, 230 million people who've been injected into this country and we're all still here. <laughs> Thank so, God. Common sense, you know, use a little logic, folks, get the shot. You may be sick for a day or two, but you're going to be fine. And unless there is some extreme medical condition that you have, that the doctors say, don't get a shot. I understand that. 
but I don't think the majority of the people who are holding back have an extreme medical condition. It's been a tumultuous year as far as court cases and all kinds of things that have occurred. Let's let's start with with January 6th and that whole business. It just doesn't go away. Um, and your overall thoughts on it as far as the Trump family is concerned, they've asked their her, his daughter uh, to to volunteer information. Uh, Bill Barr, the former attorney general, is now getting involved. Um, it just doesn't go away. And it's disturbing. Well, from what I have seen and heard on the news, and it's reasonably clear to me that there were a number of people close to the president, and I don't know if, if he played a role, but there were a number of people who felt it would be important to reverse the results of the election. Um, and if we are to believe the latest claims that the military was going to be instructed to play a role to secure the votes and then recount them in a way that was not being done by secretaries of state and town and city clerks, then that's, that is very disturbing. And so any and all the people, if they played any role in that, that is sedition on my part, um, that I'm, I'm saying they need to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Um, I did not vote for uh, Donald Trump either time because I just felt he was not good for the country. His attitude toward women um, bothered me and I was a Republican at the time. And um, uh, I have a wife, two daughters and a granddaughter and women should not be thought of in the way he thinks of them. And uh, I have since changed my registration to independent because I just find the attitude of a lot of the people who are uh, operating on the right um, is very bad for our country. Um, no better than the extreme left in the Democratic Party. So um, I, think, I think that those people have to be pursued and prosecuted. And I think this committee is doing the right thing. Are there politics involved? Yes, there is. But at the same time, um, beside the politics, there has to be efforts by um, the US government to deal with it and, and to prosecute those who are responsible. And all you had to do was watch the video. And that wasn't doctored. That was a video that showed people breaking windows, hitting police officers, hitting Capitol police officers, injuring innocent people whose job it was to protect the Capitol building. That was disgraceful. That was not some minor protest. That was a, a blatant attack on the Capitol, on people doing their job, and it was the disgrace. And I, it's, it's sad. I, I just can't believe I'm, I've witnessed something like that in our country. Well, one of the things that disturbs me when I've been watching and hearing it on the news is the fact that the president 
at the time was sitting in the White House dining room and did absolutely nothing, nothing to try and stop this. Yeah, I'm not sure what he did or didn't do. That has not been confirmed. Certainly everything we've seen or heard so far suggests that he might have been complicit in this either by default or by design. So uh, again, I'll wait until I see what the final results are, what the investigations show, um, but it's sad. It's sad that anyone thinks that they're above the law and our system is one that will prosecute those who have uh, violated the law and violated our constitutional right um, to live in a society that is peaceful. Um, and, and we have laws, we have laws. And those laws have to be obeyed. I don't care who they are, everyone has to live by the same law. If Trump had conceded and admitted that he lost the election, this would not have occurred, yes? Hard to say, but I think it certainly would have helped um, because it's a certain percentage of the population who is following him blindly um, and they think he's the be all and end all to satisfying their personal goals for how government should be run. I do not see him running again. I do not see him holding any office in the country. Um, and, um, and, and I don't know what, if anything, the rest of his family did, but if they did, then shame on them, one. And second, they should be held to account by the law. Were you surprised that he was not impeached? Was I surprised that he was not what? Impeached. Well, I, you know, that's a long process and <laughs> it's a grueling process that takes a lot out of the country. So, um, you know, that he finished his term and left is most important that he's gone uh, from the reins of government. Um, and now we deal with the aftermath. Um, but, you know, there comes a time to keep moving forward. And so I don't think it would have served any purpose at that time. Been a lot of court cases. Um, the George Floyd, Eric Chauvin case certainly occupied a lot of time, and uh, but a lot of people watched it. Um, I was glad the verdict came out when it did and what it did. And I think it was the only way that it could have come out. Were you watching that day? Yeah, well, again, we have a video that shows someone um, taking the, the law beyond um, what is legislated and basically killing a guy. So um, I think uh, justice was served by him being found guilty. I think anyone who um, takes the badge and uh, use it illegally um, should be prosecuted. And, and worse than that is it just hurts 
all the upstanding good law offices we have out there who are protecting us day and night and putting putting them at greater risk um, just being targets because of a few bad apples. It, it kind of makes you fear policemen. Well, I don't. I, I don't fear policemen. Um, I never have. Um, I, I'm confident that at this point in my life, um, with my blonde hair still, um, that um, <laughs> I can uh, I can spot a bad apple uh, when I see them and to stay away from them. Um, I've known a couple and I've checked them out. And when I find out, I stay away from them. But uh, I would have to say that 98%, 99% of the time, the law offices that I know, male and female, have been doing a good job and continue to do that. But the most puzzling thing is why? Why would a guy like Chauvin kneel on a guy's neck for that length of time? I'll never figure that out. It's disturbing. Um, and there's obviously something inside of him that doesn't work correctly because he knew people were watching, he knew people were videotaping, um, and he knew he was, he was causing grave danger and eventually death uh, to Mr. Floyd. So, I, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. The uh, irony, if you can call it that, was and is that he wasn't even supposed to work that day, according to what he said. You know, this is uh, from other comments that I've heard. This is not the first time that um, that he did things that were um, outside the law. So um, I guess I'm not shocked. All right. Kyle, I hope I get his name right. R Rittenhouse, Rosenhouse. Um, was found not guilty after shooting people when he was at the same time protecting himself. If I were him right now with a verdict like that, I would be afraid to walk the streets. Um, yeah, he's going to, yeah. Uh, and again, these, these cases, there's so many of them that are so different. Um, uh, you know, I felt bad for the woman who shot that young man uh, up in Michigan um, because she got sentenced to jail. Uh, she made a mistake, but I think the sentence was egregious. I think it was too much. He was wanted on other warrants. He jumped back in the car while he was being cuffed and took off um, and, and, and she grabbed the wrong gun. She didn't grab her taser, she grabbed a pistol, but realized immediately, which was evident by the videotape of her at the scene, that she realized she had made a very, very bad mistake. But, um, and she had a good career for over a quarter century and that's all been taken from her uh, because this person who was violating the law took off. And that was one case that I thought she certainly should have been punished for her negligence, but 
but not for what she was punished for. So you, as I, I think, were surprised that she was found guilty yeah. and sentenced to God knows how long in prison. Yeah, I agree. Not right. Not right. All right. If you had the power, use your imagination a little bit, and if if you could change or or build an all news perfect either radio or television station, what would you do? And are you satisfied with the way the news is being presented now? Somebody said to me that a lot of times news seems to be presented as commentary rather than news. Well, I guess all the cable channels would have to make it very clear that whatever you're watching at any given hour was either news or commentary. And that, that should be labeled as such. The, there's such jaded news on both sides, the far left and far right. And I think most people understand when they're watching it, but they watch it because they want to. <laughs> uh, I sample all of them just to get a sense of it. But at the same time, I get my news from two stations um, on television. One is the BBC, which has pretty clean, cut and dry coverage of news around the world, not just, you know, uh, Jennifer Lopez wearing a new dress, uh, <laughs> which seems to be part of the whole entertainment idea in America and the dumbing down of America. And the second is a station I watch called France 24, which is 24-hour news network out of Paris that is in English. And um, whether they're app, um, I'm on the computer, on my phone, or watching on television, uh, they're very informative, very good, in-depth. Um, one of the reasons I watch that is that <clears throat> they do special segments on the continent of Africa. And as you know, Ken, I chair a foundation that is bringing basic health care to villages in the Ivory Coast on the western part of Africa, known by its formal name as Côte d'Ivoire. But uh, it is a French-speaking nation, uh, a stable nation. And we have an office in their capital city, Yamasucro. And, and one of our directors on the ground is Ivorian-born. Uh, grew up there till he was 21, came here, became an American citizen. And there are a lot of people in the villages that have never seen a doctor um, and have never had a checkup. And that's what our goal is to bring them from nowhere to a level where they can integrate into the Ivorian medical system and live long lives, uh, mothers, children, families, so, um, and you can go to that website if you want and see what we're doing at aframednetwork.org, A-F-R-I-M-E-D network.org. And so that's something that um, one of your good friends, Mr. Rod Fritz um, is our media guy. Uh, we have an, another Vietnam veteran beside Rod and I, as well as the widow of a Korean War veteran and others on the team who 
have been working for now three and a half years uh, to keep this moving forward uh, without pay. So uh, it has been a labor of love for all of us. So I take it the the, the, the CBS, ABC, NBC, you don't watch any of those networks at all? I watch them. I, I watch a little bit, you know, but it's, you know, it's all snippets like ABC News at 6.30. You get yep. bits and pieces, but, you know, you have a story that's about 20 seconds long and then you go to commercials and another 20 seconds, then you go to commercial. A little better with CBS, about the same with NBC, but um, yeah, it's limited. Um, PBS does long form um, and they spend a little more time. Some of their stories have a bent to them that's more liberal or they focus on something that is of a liberal nature. But uh, just like I don't watch Newsmax, I don't have that. That's a conservative na- uh, network. But, um, you know, you have to look at you have to look at what everyone's doing to get a sense of where they're coming from and see how they're reporting something. That's just what news should be all about. Um, And, you know, I always, when I was on the air, um, I used to report news as it was, not as I saw it. So, and I think that's critical. I think a lot of people today, a lot of the young reporters, are trying to make a name for themselves. So uh, not all, but some of them uh, just go over the top and, um, and, and tank things just a tad. So <laughs> I, I think that's wrong. I think it's bad for news. I think it's bad for the audience. And I think it's bad long-term for the reporter because uh, they don't understand what it is. When I did investigative reporting, Kenny, I didn't care. I didn't care why they brought me a story. I didn't care if it was a wife who hated her husband uh, <clears throat> or, a, or a worker who hated a boss. <clears throat> it was about, is there any evidence to back up what they're saying? And if there's no evidence, then it's not a story. So you, you have to have reliable people giving you stories so that you're reporting what's real, not what you think is real. I, I listen to news radio sometimes here in Boston. And one of the things that I personally find disturbing is that you can listen at six o'clock in the morning, go back at two or three o'clock in the afternoon, and it's the same stories all over again. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's their, you know, they're churning news. <clears throat> And there used to be a slogan out of 1010 wins in New York, give us 22 minutes and we'll give you the Yeah, Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And so, but they would rotate that out and and bring it back and and freshen it up, do follow-up calls, but they don't do that anymore. It's not, it's just not what it used to be. I remember when we were out, on the street covering news back in the 80s, um, you'd have five radio stations out there. <clears throat> you'd have five or six networks 
uh, reporters out there, cameramen out there, newspapers out there. Now you're lucky to get a reporter with a cameraman out at the scene. You might see some film, um, radio, maybe one, maybe two. That's it. Um, you know, it, it's it's a change time. And also it's it's the problem. Part of the problem is that advertisers are not buying like they used to uh, radio spots, TV spots, because um, a lot of the next generation are getting all their news out of their phone or out of their computer. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a different yeah, it, time. It used to be really exciting when I first came to Boston. Boston was like the fifth or sixth largest radio That's market right. in the country. Sixth largest network. Yep. And I don't think it's that anymore. And we've seen radio stations literally go away. Yep. Um, WHGH radio, oh. which was a great station, ain't around no more. Um, well, look at, look at how long WEEI, when it was all news, was on the air with 5,000 watts and was, was a leader. <clears throat> and then... It went away and they moved it up the dial to make it sports. And, you know, the rest is history, but it, it's, it's changed. It's changed. I, uh, one of my engineers or one of my instructors in college was an engineer at, at WEEI in the sixties and, and talked about what great talent they had at the time with people like a Paul Bensequin, a Len Lawrence, uh, a Jim Westover, yeah, uh, Howard Nelson. <laughs> it's really undergone. Well, that's, that's, a when news, that's when news was news. And you had a lot of reporters, a lot of editors in that newsroom. Um, you were always listening to five or six uh, scanners. Um, and you'd react because you got to know the voices of the police dispatchers. So you'd know where a story was breaking. I mean, I used to be out on the road at night from 4 p.m. till about 11 and just going from story to story to story and reporting it in and getting it taped and then getting back at midnight and then feeding CBS Network in New York. So that stuff's all changed. It, it just, it's just not what it was. What? If you have to go back and look at your career, what's the story that gave you the most satisfaction or interview that you were able to pat yourself on the back and say, man, I did that? Well, I guess, I guess, well, there are a few, <clears throat> probably one of the most educational things I did was during the 1988 presidential election. <clears throat> I interviewed all the candidates that were running both Democrat and Republican, and there were a lot. There were a lot. And that included uh, Jesse Jackson in a hotel room at the Portsmouth, New Hampshire a Rotary. Um, and that was so crowded. We were in a bedroom, and there was Secret Service plus his staff. I'm sitting on one bed. Jesse's on the other, giving me, um, we're doing the Q&A. Um, Al Haig at the airport 
um, doing an interview. Uh, I mean, all of them, <clears throat> one after another, which I was able to do. So I really got to meet the candidates and understand. Um, the other thing that was memorable was lying beside Ray Flynn be behind a car in Dorchester as someone was shooting out of a window with a rifle. Um, and I was broadcasting live to New York on a reverse queue on a walkie talkie. Oh, wow. That, that I'll never forget that. Um, there was probably the most meaningful <clears throat> thing would be when I did a 10 part series on the Bondome Hotel fire in Boston, where nine firefighters lost their lives, the largest loss of life in the city's fire department history. And I did a 10 part series and um, that I was challenged by the attorney general's office at the time. Um, if that the story went on the air, they would seek prosecution um, and the station said, go ahead, we've got it all done. And that won me, oh, United Press International, Associated Press, Radio and Television News Directors, and the Atlantic Press Club Award, which was like number three in the country in prestige. So, so that was probably the most memorable. Um, but every time, every time I would go out, there were just stories that would break your heart. Um, the death of two children in a fire in Dorchester. Um, two men in a Jeep that hit one of the toll booths in Alston and caught fire. And to be there minutes after that started. Um, there were just so many things watching former fire commissioner Stapleton at a fire over at Fenway Park on a winter Sunday morning. And it's freezing cold, snow on the ground. And I got there, did the interview with, with the commissioner. Um, he had icicles on his hat. I came back two hours later, he was still there. More icicles on his hat but never left the scene. Um, but that kind of dedication, those people are heroes. And there is a, a phrase amongst firefighters, trust your men, trust your equipment. And um, it, it, it is just amazing to see them when they, when they act and the day-to-day -day heroics uh, that sometimes cost some of them their lives, but it, it is it, it is amazing and um, moving to to witness some of these things, um, and and the same with the police officers. I've been at the scenes of some very macabre and sad situations, and um, and those people live that every day and go home every night and have to deal with it because they just saw it. So, you know, it's tough out there and it gets tougher every day. And I, I just hope people would respect 
the firefighters and police officers and thank them when they see them. Um, and also not to be forgotten ever are the men and women who wear a uniform, whether it be Army, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard or Marines, uh, who put their life on the line to defend this great nation and to go and, and uh, sacrifice and risk. Uh, because even though they come home and if they come home like I did in one piece, and I always joke about that I came with all my fingers on my toes and half my mind, and that's not a bad thing. Um, but at any given time, when they're out there, they could lose their life. And, and that does not only affect them, it affects their families, it affects their children, it affects their wives, their husbands, um, and their neighbors. Um, it's some serious things going on in this world. And we all should really try to get our political leaders to stop focusing on power and start focusing on the nation. Because that's we really need some statesmen out there. I don't see many. I don't see many. And it's tough. That's not good for the country. You know, you, you mentioned firefighters. The one thing I'll never forget, and I always think about it every year, is the tragedy in Worcester. Oh, yeah. Where six or seven firefighters lost their lives. Yep. And there were two people involved that uh, started the fire, and they weren't prosecuted. Yeah. I, I have a hard time with that. I know there were developmental disabilities involved, but so many people and so unnecessary yeah. that something like that happened. It's, um, it, it's, there's so many challenges. And, you know, when I, when I talk with young people, whether it be my granddaughter or others, I, I try to impress upon them that, you know, absorb what you can, learn what you can, and, and don't make quick judgments. Try to figure out why things happen and, and, and compartmentalize that information so it helps you in the future. Um, I feel very fortunate that my time in Vietnam, my time as an investigative reporter, and it caused me to create an inner system. So I'm always scanning what's around me. I'm always watching. I'm always calculating. And I've been able to do this. It doesn't cause my blood pressure to rise. It doesn't make me jittery. It's just like a sixth sense that I've been able to develop and others have done too. Um, that helps you to analyze a situation, helps you to react to do what you have to do that's right, whether it be in a blackout, directing traffic, uh, to keep people moving along, um, witnessing an accident and moving to help the people that are in the accident. But whatever the situation may be, it's a learning process and it takes time. But young people have to know that, people have to understand it and, and they have to learn from it. And I, I, I just hope more and more mothers and fathers 
spend more and more time with their children um, to help them develop and grow in a way that um, they don't have to fear and they don't have to feel uh, that they're depressed or need counseling because those are things mothers and fathers do and they did all the time. Did it with you, did it with me. Um, you know, um, I just think that we have to spend more time teaching kids to, uh, to deal with the society around them. You are a man who, as they like to say, had his ear to the ground. I'm going to mention two names. I mean, it's a long time ago since they were involved in politics. One of them I was heartbroken over when they lost the election. One is David Finnegan. Oh, yeah. And another, and another is Michael Dukakis. Uh, I couldn't believe when Finnegan lost his election. And I can remember asking Listo Fisher about that because he was David's campaign manager. And he said, you know, it didn't really sink in until the next day we were staying at the Weston Hotel. And he said, I opened my door <laughs> and there was a newspaper under the under the door with the headline about David losing the election. Well, you know, with regard to I, I, David's a good guy um, and Michael Dakar's a good guy. I was not a, I was not a big fan of his politics. Um, and I thought he did a couple of things that uh, maybe were counterproductive when it comes to the business side. But I'll tell you a, a funny little story. When my oldest daughter worked at Costco, the big box store, as a cashier many, many years ago um, out in Dedham, uh, Michael came through the register. And, and my daughter said, oh, Governor Dukakis, uh, I think you know my dad. And he said, oh, what's his name? And so she tells him. And then he said, yeah, your dad is a nice man. The problem is the people he hangs around, meaning Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but no, you know, he was, he's a gentleman. He's a, a decent individual. Um, just didn't agree with a lot of his politics, but a decent person. And David? Oh, I love David. David was a great guy. Um, David, you know, he was a victim of, of the times in politics, but that happens, happens a lot. Um, another one who I felt got um, short shrift was Tommy Fenneran. Um, I knew Tom. I, I, I know Tom. I like Tom. Um, and I think they needed a scapegoat on redistricting and that's why they went after him. Um, but I always liked him. Ray Flynn's another one I love. Um, it was a great mayor. His son, uh, is now the president of the city council in Boston. Another great guy, um, who, who gets it. You know, we've we've had a lot of good leaders um, in this state, and they've done their job and done it well. Um, Bob Dole, Bob Dole, yeah. when he was the senator, I remember I remember we were recording a commercial 
with him and Peter Torkelson uh, up at uh, the Hampshire house in Tom Kershaw's bedroom up on the sixth floor. And uh, over the bed was a mirror. <laughs> and and uh, Dole looked up at the mirror and went, whoa, and then had a couple of good quips about the mirror over the bed. Um, but Bob Dole was such a great American, great American hero and uh, got to know him a little bit. Um, you know, just so many good people out there. George W. Bush, uh, I have great regard for him and, and his dad and uh, got to know them both. And, uh, you know, just a lot of good people out there. John McCain, another great yep. guy. Yep, yep. Ronald Reagan, another great guy who I got to know. So, um, uh, and Big Poppy, who now will go in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yes, July 24th. Yes, sir. I love it. He got, he was only supposed to get 75% and he got 77 point something or other. Yeah, yeah. And certainly deserves to go in. Matter of fact, Terry and I had dinner in his restaurant one night. Oh, really? Yep, out in Framingham. Oh, the wow. waitress was very nice. She showed us his booth where he would sit when he came in. I wish the restaurant was still open because the food was great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, never had a chance to meet uh, David, read his book. And of course, like everybody, admire what he did. I don't think anybody will ever do what he did. No. Um, well, Fritz uh, and yeah. I got to, Fritz and I were down at the casino in Connecticut and there was a 10th anniversary party and we were there with David and took a photo with him and, uh, um, you know, just, just a great, <laughs> a great talent um, yep. and, a, and a nice guy. Well, listen, I want to thank you again for coming on and, and sharing your thoughts and ideas. Um, you are a great example of the media and a, and a good guy to be a friend with and of. And uh, I'm still glad you're one of mine. Well, Kenny, I, you know, doing this with you is always an honor um, because you're, you're, to me, you're a star. You're a guy who understands radio and always did it well, still doing it well. And, and you care about the product and that's really important. And I remember all the time when you did old time radio, that brought us all such pleasure and a lot of laughs too. And you had some great talent and great interviews. So this is my pleasure being here, buddy. Well, listen, anytime I can help in any way, whatever it may be, by all means, be sure and get in touch with me. And you know, I do anything I could. And to Judy Paparelli, good to know you're still out there. <laughs> she will be very happy to hear that. Listen. Gene, thank you so much for doing my this. Stay and safe, my friend. I will do that, and you do the same. And that will do it for another edition of City Talk. Thanks for listening to another great conversation with Ken Meyer and friends. You can contact Ken by email. The address is kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. That's kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more conversation with Ken Meyer on City Talk. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network 
at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119, attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.